Okay. And in three, two, and one. Hi, welcome to episode three of If These Walls Could Talk. Uh, this is a bit of a special edition today. I've been very lucky to be joined by Michael Kill from uh, the Nighttime Industries Association uh, for a little bit of a chat as to what's going on with regards to sort of lifting the lockdown, all of the government measures that are in place, uh, trying to debunk some rumors and sort of generally provide a bit of a resource for those in the hospitality sector as to what it is going on. Michael's got a great insight into government and their processes and their dealings. So I just thought this would be a really useful chat to put out. Um, Michael, if you want to just introduce yourself. Uh, hi there. Uh, my name's, uh, as Alex said, about myself and Alex have spoken on many occasions, but uh, really pleased to be able to sort of come out and have a, a conversation and, and definitely uh, uh, put some rumours to bed. Um, I, I mean, I've been in this industry for nearly 30 years now. Um, I started off as a promoter. Um, I've had my own venues. I've worked for corporates. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm deeply embedded within this industry. So uh, when, when you ask the question of these people who are feeding into government, what experience do they have? Where do they come from? Absolutely. I've stood on the front doors and uh, been part of operations for many years. Um, so uh, I've definitely got a, a massive insight in all the different sort of portfolios of business that, that uh, are represented out there. So pleased to be able to take an active part, but definitely from uh, an operator perspective, just give some clear feedback. Um, well, yeah, I thought are, something, something long, long form between yourself and an operator is, is, is hopefully going to be really useful to a lot of people. Could you just give us a little background on, on the NTIA and how you got started with that? Well, to, uh, to be honest with you, I was I was actually working as a commercial director for a university um, uh, in uh, Norwich, uh, University of East Anglia, uh, running a 5,000 capacity sort of licensed space at a uni. And I, uh, I got a call um, uh, and spoke to someone about potentially coming back uh, nearer to London um, and taking up a, a, a role within the NTIA uh, initially. Uh, just getting involved in the infrastructure, and then as time went on, it, it, it sort of it, it sort of enveloped to move forward. So, um, I mean, the NTIA as a whole is is everything that I've had in in terms of occupational experience rolled up in in a representative body. So, uh, the one thing that I would say to it is it's not just about bricks and mortar; it's about the ecosystem that surrounds the nighttime economy and event sector. So. You know, we're not just about the pubs, the bars, the clubs. We're also talking about the suppliers and that huge infrastructure that's out there that supports us. So, you know, in terms of representation, that's what that body is about. It's about encompassing all of those businesses that rely so heavily on the nighttime economy sector in terms of tourism, retail, um, you know, alcohol sales, food, um, you know, and, and the and entertainment is probably one of the biggest part, which is is the big sort of exciting plus about being involved with the NTI in particular. So it's um, a real broad church of uh, interest that you cover. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think the challenge that everyone has is, you know, it's very easy to be sort of uh, uh, siloed against one type of business. But I think because we've got such a difficult category, you know, it's very difficult to categorize anything these days from hybrid venue to photography studio in the daytime or conference facility in the daytime to, 
you know, sort of a, a venue space in the evening to a pub that becomes a late bar. So, you know, you've got so many different activities out there that, that, that you know, stands testament to the entrepreneurial spirit that people have continued to evolve. So, um, you know, it, it's a very interesting as new things are coming up every day from, you know, when you talk to Josh at Bongo Bingo to uh, Dan Perrin, who, you know, is the life and soul at 338. You know, it's it's an exciting uh, it's just an exciting mix of people that you're engaging with on a day-to-day. So I guess prior to COVID and, and lockdown, you were sort of fighting the good fight against uh, sort of oppressive councils and sorting out those sort of complicated supply chains and stuff. But I imagine since, since this has happened, you've probably been working 24-7. <laughs> Uh, I think I, mean, everyone I, I, know, on- I know the answer to that already. Is, uh- <laughs> it, it's, it, it has been a 24-7 sort of, uh, uh, you know, run and, and 10 weeks of it, uh, you know, was the team that I have around me, I mean, you know, lucky that they're so committed um, because we wouldn't be able to achieve the support mechanisms that we have out there. But, yeah, it has it has been intense. I mean, we, we came from, uh, you know, strategies around um, creating better support and representation in terms of nighttime economy and councils and training and, um, you know, dealing with licensing officers and police licensing officers and the disparity in terms of communication and interpretation to, you know, blam, this virus that has come in and within four or five weeks we're talking about it almost like it's in the background and then it almost takes our legs and feet away, and that's that's kind of how it's felt. Um, and we and we've been engaged from sort of day dot, really, where you know we've been pushing for you know either uh, you know don't you know from the announcement that that really was the sort of pinnacle with Boris turning around and saying that don't go to pubs, cl- uh, clubs, bars, and theatres uh, to the push to either get an official closure or or you know to change the narrative. So. You know, we, we've been on a roller coaster ride. I mean, from notifiable disease uh, government listings for insurance to uh, all the way through from the budget being released and it being nowhere near the provision that was required to to allow us to survive. So, yeah, we've we've in a very very short period of time, it feels like we've lived you know a whole year of experiences that we would normally have as an association. So it, it's been a real sort of eye opener. And if anything, I think it's done two things it's actually made our industry communicate better with each other. And it's actually made the government realize how important we are because they have little of no experience. Although we say DCMS and we say Bayes and and cultural experience and and all of these departments are supposed to be molded around the nighttime economy, the reality is, is they have little or no understanding about what we are. And this has actually demonstrated not only that, but made them go out and learn. I think there was that there was that amazing thing that came out in the press over the weekend of uh, someone revealing to Boris just how many jobs stood to stood to be lost in this sector, and the yeah. the quote that they they buttoned on him was uh, Christ, in <laughs> with an exclamation mark after it, uh, as if he had no idea that that this 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 made up you know hospitality made up such an important part of the UK economy. Hey, listen, I, I, I probably had about 30 or 40 moments like that with government. Um, and as you can appreciate, it's very, very difficult to maintain a relationship to ensure that we've got input uh, and be quite measured in, in terms of what we res- we respond to and how we go out to the market. But it's um, <clears throat> without a doubt that, I mean, there's been some wow factors in terms of 
what you really don't understand. You know, uh, 3.2 million jobs in hospitality, you know, 66 billion pounds worth of revenue in nighttime economy, 130 billion in uh, hospitality in total. Um, you know, and we're not even touching on the fact that we've got billions and billions of pounds worth of businesses that uh, feed off our sector in terms of tourism, etc. Because people come to areas to come to the experiences that the UK have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's, there's, you know, they, they, there is a real reality um, in terms of government of what we represent. For sure. I mean, my um, marketing guy the other day referred to it as the Corona Coaster, which I thought was. Uh... <laughs> Quite, quite, uh, quite. You shouldn't really be making jokes about about the virus, but you know it was quite an apt little pun. Um, well, yeah. It's, I mean, look. We, we, do you know the sad bit about this is we've been drip fed these these provisions over weeks, and it's taken us to push and bash and stamp to actually get more out. Uh, you know, and in the knowledge of where we are now compared to the budget, you know, you've got to ask yourself if they had all of that in there, they should have just come to the table with it. I mean, I mean, and, and, I think you were you were referencing before actually um, that it really was when when the lockdown when the, the, the first suggestion, if I remember that week correctly, it seems like an age ago now, but um, it was a Monday, wasn't it, when they recommended that people didn't go to bars, pubs, clubs, and restaurants, and then it was the Friday that the mandate came through. Um, That's right, and it seemed like that first wave of provisions that sort of came were all really focused on the hospitality sector but yeah. now that's gone on to encompass all manners of industry and i think i'm, I'm sure you could sort of ratify this but i feel from the perspective of an operator like you know our voice has got lost a little bit in in that noise when a lot of these measures that were designed at the start were designed to help our sector yeah i mean look i i think everyone knows that uh you know, my experience of politics at the moment is you, you go from uh, who, he who shouts loudest, uh, you know, tends to be sort of followed the same way that, you know, the, the public domain <clears throat> is very much the steering steering wheel of, of, you know, politics. So, you know, when you talk about 51% of people saying that they don't want two metres social distancing reduced, then government tend to respond. If they, you know, when you talk about uh, provisions, once people see that there were a lot of provisions being handed out to hospitality because we we worked very hard collectively, and, and I'm talking not just ourselves but other people to make sure that we were heard. Other people then realised that they were compromised as well, but they weren't as quick off the mark, and that's that's when it became a bit of a melee for support. Um, but I think we're going to have our day again. I mean, you know, not not in the right guys, but I, I do think that there is going to be some more provision announced for venues who are not, you know, venues and spaces, cultural spaces that are not going to be able to open under the the measures that are going to be released, you know, hopefully in the coming days, which is uh, the expectation. Well, so uh, we, we will see. Yeah, and I, I think it, I mean I, I my my I've just come off a ministerial meeting this afternoon, and and it was very clear that there are measures due to be released by Treasury at some point. Um, <clears throat> and as you can appreciate, a lot of these things are very hand to mouth, so we'll hear about it twenty four hours before, if that. I mean, it does. Um, it, it feels to me a little bit at the moment like they're sort of using their leaks in the press to almost test government policy. Like over the weekend, we had that big thing saying like, oh, we're going to push forward uh, 
opening pubs with beer gardens, although they helpfully left the beer gardens tag off all of the headlines on the newspaper. So the headlines in the newspaper read, pubs open on the, on the 22nd of June. There was obviously a bit of a like public reaction against that, especially with all the protests and stuff that are going on at the moment. I mean, that, that, and, now they've, know, just, and now they've canned the idea. It seems you know, like they just used that leak in order to test that policy before deciding that they weren't going to announce it. Well, I mean, we, we were on top of that quite quickly. We heard through ministerial uh, sort of representation that the 22nd had been voiced. It obviously come out in the press. Uh, we had written quite strongly to um, our lead in Bayes and DCMS, uh, highlight create some considerable confusion. Um, and, you know, how do they expect to get uh, protocols, policies, um, all out by the 22nd um, because what you're actually doing now is getting people to gear up to open for the 22nd and it's it's misinformation again but I think the campaigns without a doubt that you know it's come from somewhere and I think everyone knows that there are leaked uh, press position to see you know what the reaction is from people um, but you know I mean most of the associations around that we would you know we were involved in meetings that all said that it was it was a really really sort of uh you know bad position to be in because it actually made us made us look like we didn't know what was going on and the fact of the matter is is you know we were very focused on the fourth of July um and all of the planning in terms of protocol release for pubs bars restaurants um social clubs etc were all built up to that sort of position so um, you know, it, it kind of came left field for most of us, and and the even the regulators like MPCC were all sat there going, "Where's this come from?" They didn't they didn't know anything about it, and that's the head of the the police commission. I mean, it's, you know, um, yeah, I saw I saw the mayor of Hackney on Twitter, uh, who's who's a regular down here. He was kicking off about like how the hell are we meant to get these sort of new planning objectives into place where people can just you know like use their venue as an off license? They're already struggling. With the mm. with the parks in Hackney and pubs that are next to them, basically just using them as a sort of extended beer garden. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's 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 a group called I mean uh, Next Start, um, which was put together uh, as an amalgamation between uh, ourselves, Sarah Clover, Popston Allen, um, and a gentleman called uh, Peter Rogers. And what we've done is we've collectively brought all the key decision makers, including all the associations and bodies from events to uh, operator associations etc um, and we've been starting to formalize and deal with some of the guidance uh, as it comes out so one of the things that came out last week that um, we've, we've put together uh, as, as one of the group meetings is a, uh, a protocol for takeaways um, mm. which has been sent out amongst the police has been sent out amongst uh, Nalio which is the uh, the the National Association for Licensing Officers within Council, um, and and it was built by them, and we've distributed it out to all of those, so there is clarity in terms of process. But you know, we can only deal with those if we know what's coming. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the big challenges that we've got is regulators. I mean, you know, while I appreciate everyone's gearing up and getting ready, how is the regulator going to interpret this? Or rather, you know. Uh, we heard from Alok Sharma last night and he turned around and he said, listen, if you're in a retail shop, you open from Monday, but you don't conform to May 25th guidelines in terms of COVID, then EHO will be able to fine you. 
but we've then got licensing on top of EHO. So, you know, how's that going to be interpreted? And that's one of the big things that we're attacking at the moment in terms and, of creating and, some guidance for them. And planning as well, you know, with license uh, venues. And planning. You know, it's a, it's a real, it's a triple thong threat uh, yeah. that we're having to deal with here. Um, I mean, I guess that sort of leads on to my first big question that I was going to ask you. So how would you rate out of 10? That's a bit of a loaded question. The, <laughs> the government response so far to this crisis. Uh, I think communication has been horrendous. Yeah. Um, and out of 10, I'll probably give them a two at best, but just trying to be generous. A generous um, two. Yeah, generous. I mean, maybe too. maybe we could pick through the individual schemes actually, because when the furlough thing got announced, I think that did seem like a real. You know, that was the first thing that we were all fighting for, wasn't it? We can rewind to that first week. Was like, what's going to yeah. happen to our staff? And that yeah. was a very very generous scheme coming in at eighty percent. It's it's you know protected a lot of jobs. Yeah, and I and I and I have to admit the furlough scheme is, has been very good. The initial phase of furlough scheme, fantastic. Um, it's, been, it's been easy to use from the perspective of an opera. I mean, I've only got six staff, so I'm yeah. not, I mean, I'm we, not we've had some for like 90 members of staff like some venues are. But it Well, does... there, I mean, yeah, there are some operational issues around it. I mean, I, I'm still fighting some cases at the moment where HMRC are sticking to a deadline. And, and part of the issue that some of the businesses that I've been dealing with is that they've not been able, they've not met the deadline because of references under the RTI. And HMRC are so rigid in the way that they deal with things that I've had to take it to a ministerial level to actually get people to be able to take an active part in furlough. I mean, one of the businesses I know has had to just let all their staff go, which is, uh, you know, gone straight up to number 10. And, it, and it's, a you know, uh, it's these sort of things in the background that people don't see. So I think overall, the furlough scheme has been great. I think the the way it's been managed in some quarters with some people that have had difficulties is has not been very flexible, which has, has created more work and, and more pressure outside of what's already existing. So um, I think the initial part, I think, has been very strong. I think the, the next phase in terms of the commitment from businesses at 10 and 20 percent in September and October um, has to be has to be coupled with the guidance and the understanding of what the uh, the ease of lockdown um, uh, pathway is because at the moment we're still up in the air. And the big question is, is if I get to September and I'm not open still, how am I going to pay 10% to something? You know, I'm, I've got to consider, you know, what I'm going to do with my staff. So uh, that that's the thing that's kind of spoiled the, the, the goodness within furlough is the fact that it's not been accompanied, accompanied with a clear communication pathway for exit strategy although i do understand that uh, you've got challenges around um you know the science and and the, the the medical position on it but you know even if you had a pathway and you knew what direction you were going at least you'd be in a better place to make more informed decisions yeah i mean it's a it's a tsunami on the horizon at the moment that is uh, <laughs> yeah. keep, keeping me up at night a little bit I mean, it's just you know I think, I think like you're saying, it's the lack of clarity really over what the roadmap actually is for the sector and the fact yeah. that all of these little leaks keep coming through to the press that just makes any form of planning completely impossible for, for any of us as operators, um, you know, for anyone who works in, like you said before, a supply business uh, yeah. and, you know, for landlords as well who... Uh, some are being nice, some are playing fair, but others are obviously being a bit tougher and sort of demanding their money, which is a, it's a t 
tricky thing to chase up when there's when there's zero revenue coming through the door. Yeah, and and I think, I mean, look, there there also been releases of protocol, um, early date confusions. As I say, I mean, if the community, I have to admit, Nicola Sturgeon in the devolved government in Scotland has actually done a better job of communicating For sure. uh, against. Westminster, and I think that's been purely down for the fact she's been very direct, you know, been very clear. Um, there's not been any um, sort of ambiguity in the wording, no grey spaces. It's just been very clear, and and I I think that she's done a better job in terms of communication, although not easy. Um, and I think Westminster, if you've you know really got to account for some of their communication strategy on this, whether it's leaked or whether it's direct. Uh, and I guess it's 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 led to a, some quite confusing messages out there, without a doubt. I guess Scotland wouldn't count as an international comparison, would it? So it's probably one that you're allowed to you're allowed to levy at them still. Yeah, no, 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 completely. I mean, actually, listen, it's a very, very tough environment. Um, I, you know, they reacted very quickly. If in the time that they've reacted, um, you know, they're not going to get it 100 percent right. But now we've had some time with it. We need to refine it and get it get it as, as close to perfect as possible um and that's that's where the challenge is is I mean, and some I, of it i mean we've just got to be devoid of egos really that's the, the issue if it's wrong say it's wrong and get on with it get it right well, i think that's the tricky thing with this government but um you know that's uh you know uh, I, I was hearing about the sort of situation in new zealand this morning um obviously <clears throat> not a sort of international economy on the same scale as the uk but also yeah. like a sort of small island on the edge of a big ocean yeah. um and their health minister was was on the today program today talking about how he uh had strategized to eliminate coronavirus from the country and was mm -hmm. saying that if britain followed similar measures to what they've done and stopped treating it like an influenza pandemic and start looking at at, at what the asian nations did with sars yeah. uh we get a lot closer to getting it out as they have and you know they've opened up today for parties bars people can hug yeah. each other and all these sort of things that we really need to be able to to make the nighttime economy work because you know let's let's be clear with with social distancing no one wants to go to a pub a bar a restaurant and all of this kind of thing you know these these are spaces that thrive on that sort of slight chaos element on social interaction on bumping into someone, you know, you, you're going to bring a bunch of single people down here with social distancing who've not been able to meet up with anyone for for three months and tell them that they're not allowed to go and chat to the other person at the other side of the bar. They're only allowed to speak within their group of friends. It's just, you know, after a few drinks, that kind of thing's never going to work. Listen, uh, I, some of the some of the feedback that we've given in terms of the protocol is, you know, are we accounting for customer behaviour? Um, and while we appreciate. Uh, you know, we're, we're all sat around here saying that it's going to go, you know, the way we want it to go. I mean, you know, even down to these protocols and talking about sort of, uh, you know, physical intervention for security staff if people get out of hand. And, you know, we know that there are going to be pinch points and flashpoints around, um, you know, uh, the COVID insinuation, the cough, the you know, all these sort of things. So there's, there's you know... <laughs> Look, I, I think New Zealand uh, have done a very good job, but they've they've also communicated very well. Mm. Um, I mean, we you know, I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, sort of track and trace and um, uh, antibody testing, and and I mean, 
yeah, there's there's lots of things. I think uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is obviously the the testing process. I mean, we haven't really been very quick at getting the testing out, track and trace. It's been been very slow. We're still testing on the Isle of Wight. Uh, antibody tests are, are really penultimately the, the only way that we can even understand whether people have had it or haven't had it. Um, I mean, I, I'm aware that uh, Jeff Ellis from DF Events and Melvin Benn from Live Nation are presenting to Scottish government in the next couple of days on their 100% capacity um, uh, proposal, which is going to be quite interesting to understand how that feedback is going to be, uh, uh, you know, how that's going to be received. So um, I, I think we're just very slow at, at getting a move on with these things. It, it just takes so long to go through the process of, ratification is, is a frustration for us you know and I think, um, I think as well you know listening to um, the guy speak from New Zealand he said uh, he called out the UK for not really enforcing a proper lockdown I mean mm. it was still pretty easy to move around during the lockdown it's not like you needed a piece of paper to go outside as you have done in other countries you look at the European nations that had it really bad before us yeah. they're now opening up their bars and restaurants again and they're able to do it because they really quelled the virus by keeping people in their homes properly. Mm. Um, we've sort of been quite loose with that, I feel. And now, you know, it's still popping up in different communities around the country and they, they just haven't been able to get on top of it properly to know sort of where it is. It's like whack-a-mole, isn't it? Like, Yeah, it is, exactly. And the interesting part is, I mean, I, I, I sit on panels internationally and the last one I did, I was sat with the US, Russia, uh, China, uh, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. And, um, you know, do you know when you just feel like you're irrelevant of how far you are behind in terms of transmission, you always feel that you're behind in terms of the curve. Mm. And that's the first time I've sat, sat in a, a meeting internationally, particularly discussing culture where I felt like we were behind the curve as a, as a nation, which always is uncomfortable, as you can appreciate, purely on the fact that we haven't been reactive enough, if that gives you a measure on, on how it feels amongst um, uh, my peers in particular and people that I'm talking about internationally. So it's, it's a really sort of, it, it was an interesting feeling, but uh, yeah, not comfortable in any way, shape or form. Well, it's just we haven't led, have we? And, you know, we have no. a leading nighttime economy. There's constant, like, features during, you know, the old world, the normal world that we knew before, where time out would run things saying, like, who's got the best bar scene, London or New York? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you look at all of the, 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 like, the cities in the north with their big, like, university populations and stuff. We have a thriving nighttime economy. I went to university in Leeds. Yeah. And, you know, you could go to a party every single night with international DJs, packed out venues. It's, it's, and that was, at the time, it was the fastest growing city in Britain. And a lot of that was fed in from its nighttime economy. Yeah. The money that was sort of pouring into the city. And, you know, it just, it feels like we should be at the forefront of this culture. And like you say, it's not. We're just left at the back responding to... I I think I think I think the way to look at this, and and I, and I, you know, I've got to be quite pragmatic. I can't ever take away because we've got some amazing people in terms of entrepreneurs and business leaders that form part of our cultural fraternity. The challenge that we have is is the government aren't up to the measure that our industry are in terms of pace and understanding. 
Um, and that's where we've kind of fallen. So, so the fact that they haven't understood our industry completely and the fact that they haven't moved quick enough with that knowledge once presented with it and a reliance on the people who are experts in our industry uh, has created, you know, a, a, almost like a lag which is is the bit that's been frustrating and you know we're, we're it's like you say it's nice to see that we're picking up the pace now i mean it's like the ministerial meeting there's big pieces of it that are about uh culture music venues um you know clubs bars late bars bubs etc and there's lots of discussion about it and more engagement in terms of the understanding but you know we should have been sat on this eight weeks ago really sure. um Especially when you when you consider the fact, like we said at the start of this, that we were we were the first responders. We were the first industry to get affected by this. We were the first. Rishi Sunak's first wave of measures were all designed to help the hospitality sector. Exactly. And it feels like since then he's just sort of cut us adrift a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a, and the other thing is, is, there's a lot of gaps. I mean, you can go through it all from um, you know uh, independent uh, directors to. Of companies to dividends to um, there's there's lots of gaps. I mean, I, we've we've been fighting tirelessly for production companies that support uh, events industry, um, and we've had four or five of them come to us, and they've not been allowed to have loans. But clearly, within the Commons, Rishi Sunak said that we would support, and we've literally had to write a, a couple of page letter to the treasury uh with the case study to highlight it so that they would get paid and it's um you know it, it, it's been very time you know time consuming in terms of and then there was um, all the stuff so, that you were dealing with with insurance as well wasn't it i mean it was just like you know that one of those first announcements that boris made was uh oh yeah i've just spoken to the national insurance brokers federation or whatever it was and they've said that they're going to pay out so that's done tick yeah. And you know we're we're nowhere no. with that. <laughs> well, we we I mean the place that we are with it is the FCA, which is the Financial Conduct Authority that looks after insurers and and banks is is taking this case forward in terms of court case. Uh, the challenge that we've got at the moment is because it was left so long, and we lobbied very hard to make sure that you know the regulator took an active part in this. Is because there are a lot of um, uh, ambulance chaser sort of uh, solicitors that were chasing around after these claimants trying to get a you know them to sign up so that they would go through the process of arbitration which costs a lot of money mm -hmm. I mean I think we had a quote is on, on one side if you had several hundred uh, claimants you would look at 800 grand uh, just to take it through the process uh, which would come out of the claimants money and then it's 1.5 million for each um insurance company that you would have to take through that process on the other side if you lost so but that would be based on aba insurance so it, it's it, it's been a real real roller coaster and the government's lack of movement on things after provisionally turning around and saying that we will do something has led to people taking alternative action which is going to compromise them financially which is a uh, a, a massive issue at the moment that we're fighting uh, and trying to let people realize that the FCA are doing it for nothing. Yeah. You know, why, why do that? Because the other thing, if you think about it, if the FCA win, all of those solicitors that have signed up people under those policies, it's just made those solicitors have an easy job in terms of case precedent. Yeah. So all they're going to do is go in and say, yeah, they're going to submit the court papers and then walk away with, I think the wall street journal turned around to me and said, 
uh, some of them out there are going to walk away with 40% of winnings. And most of these people have got a hundred grand in terms of, uh, you know, quantum that they're going to gain from this. So it's a, re it's a real concern that there are people making money off this, you know, outside of landlords as well. So, well, I guess, you know, there's any crisis will breed prospectors in some, in some shape or form. There's always going to be people out there trying to, trying to profit yeah. out of something. It's a, it's a shame to see when, you know, it is, it is an issue that has affected every single person in this country and in the world. Yeah. Um, but there hasn't been more of a sort of unified, clear leadership approach from, from those at the top. And I know the Prime Minister was sick for a bit and we obviously felt sorry for him for that, but he, he's been well for a long time now and we're still waiting for him to really yeah, come it, it's it's like you say, we just, just need someone who's going to be direct and, and very clear in terms of their delivery. And it, I always find it with all politicians, realistically, they, they all they all talk like they would do a better job. Um, but the reality is, is the, the proof's in the pudding. And, you know, although I think Boris, you know, started off on a good foot, mm -hmm. um, as soon as this crisis came in, I, I think it, it, you know, showed some... Uh, uh, some, some issues and challenges that he's got around him. Um, so, so uh, it, go on. Oh yeah, I was just going to move now on to sort of covering social distancing in a in a bit more detail as we sort of skirted around it before. Um, sure, sure. So that's obviously been the big headline story with regard to the sector over the last what feels like a uh, year, but it's probably only been a month. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel your pain. Um, and it seems like government think that a blanket policy on this uh, is something that will be workable for the sector. But I think one of the jobs that you obviously do incredibly well is trying to explain to them just how nuanced each individual case is with regard to social distancing. I mean, like just looking at, I was on, uh, I was on the news this week uh, talking about it when when it looked like they were going to reduce it to one meter and tell yeah. people that they could open up on the 22nd of june mm. um and in a space like this which is i think 90 square meters with a large chunk of it taken up by the bar even yeah. with one meter social distancing you know that statistic that was flying around on the weekend that i think kate nichols put out there from uk hospitality she said that, you know, if it's two meters, we're at 30 percent of uh, trading capacity. If it goes down to one meter, we're up to 70 and that's OK. I mean, that was that was like for me, that was a complete death knob because that was the thing that everyone started running with. Whereas based on my analysis of what it would be like down here, this is a this is a dive bar, really. You know, this is a place that's elbow to elbow. It thrives on people walking past, taking a look, saying, like, oh, let's pop in there for a beer and then staying for three or four. We, we make our money by packing this space out, dance floor, tables, everything on a Friday and Saturday night. So like any form of social distancing is going to yeah. turn us into a loss-making business. Um, so that particular red herring, from my personal perspective, and I know from like, especially those who operate nightclubs and, and other premises such as this, it's it's a complete no no really to to get going again if we're if we're if we're looking at having to open with any form of social distancing measures in place. Well, we we have we have been quite consistent at this. Pubs have put something out. I know the BBPA did some some pieces, and they were saying that uh, I think it's sixty percent of pubs would not open even at one meter. That's good to hear. Um, so um, you know, I, I'm telling you now the surveys we've done. 
we're looking at 80% of venues will, will categorically not open, and that's a cross-section of uh, music venues, pubs, and, and nightclubs. But nightclubs in particular, I think it was something like 98% of venues would not open. Uh, I think that last percentage was possibly someone who ticked the wrong box, potentially. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I get that feeling from people as I talk to them. So I don't well, think I've spoke to anyone who said it will work. So. One one new nightclub who saw an opportunity to be the only open nightclub in Britain was like, I'm going to take my chance on this and say yes. Well, it, it, funny enough, I mean, we've we've seen some uh, some things in Nottingham. Um, I've seen some German th- uh, uh, um, clubs that have opened, which have, I mean, uh, look, our, our businesses are built on social engagement. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of it, like or dislike, is about boy meets girl, boy meets, you know, boy, uh, girl meets girl. So there's there's lots of things there that it's that chaos, you know, I mean. just just yeah, of course it is, and 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 people want to you know cut loose. I mean. You know, someone said to me the other day, I mean, uh, they, they made a comment. They said, look, you know, if if after all of the um, the, the protests and gatherings um, that have happened over this weekend, which, you know, blatantly, uh, you know, for one reason or another, uh, have ignored social distancing, if we don't have a spike in um, uh, in transmission over that, then you've got to really ask the question, is social distancing the real Sort of issue because most people were wearing protective equipment and you know sort of face masks and all these sort of things so and, and, and matt hancock said the other day and this was the interesting part he turned around and he said social distancing is just one piece of this you know um you know the fact that we've stepped up our height you know more on top of um you know the way that we manage uh, sort of businesses is a part so you've got a question of how effective two meter social distancing is I mean, one meter, as I said, I mean, I was on the BBC the other day and I turned around and I said, yeah, two meters is just unworkable. One meter. Yeah, there'll be a few more venues, but there will still be a lot of venues who can't open. I mean, I think they're they're looking at like restaurants and maybe sort of uh, bars that are on, you know, big sort of top 100, top 50 lists where you can do table bookings and people will come in and they can charge a little bit more for a sort of. Yeah. experience i think they're, they're going to bill it as that on a sort of experiential I, drinking and dining at, 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 a, at a safe distance but i mean who really wants to go to a dive bar uh, a basement bar a nightclub when there's a series of rules and measures in place as to who you can go near engage with what you can and can't touch it's just you go to these places to escape that kind of thing well yeah i mean look conformity is not something that customer behavior uh, represents within our venues. I mean that that's not what it's about. They they want to push the boundaries. They want to enjoy themselves. They want to scream. They want to shout. They want to dance. They want to gather. They, you know that that's what it's about. So, you know, uh, <laughs> however you dress it, some of the people that are, sort of, are trying to represent, uh, if I'm going to be honest, and and this is the bit that's frustrating. Some of these people have never operated a venue in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so so to sit on statistics which gives a false economy. Uh, to what's actually going on out there, and particularly a false economy in terms of independent venues, which is where our challenge is. Because while we all sit around the table and the likes of some of the bigger corporates have got a, an easier job, um, because they've you know they've they've got backing, they've got you know we, we'll get through this sort of moment. You know those people who have got a venue and they've put their life savings into it, and it's a passion, and and sometimes they're all with their heart rather than their head. You know, they're the people that need support and need help and need, you know, consideration. That's the bit where I struggle because, 
you know, I've been one of those in the past. I, I know what it's like to win and lose. Um, and the sad bit about it is, there's, you know, that that makes up a sort of a massive proportion of the market. Um, not not the uh, the chains. The the people that are out there running independent venues are the ones that set the tone in terms of creativity and entrepreneurial flair. I guess you know, uh, I I can list as long as my arm people that. Uh, you know, I think if they they had the money behind them and created a chain, they'd probably wipe out half of these big big sort of chains out there. I guess that's 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 my huge fear really at the moment is that uh, a couple of these sort of chain spaces or spaces that have like big <coughs> conglomerates behind them will go public saying how they're working with social distancing with lots of expensive. Uh, temperature gauges and hand washing stations and put you know they just need uh, I, I worry that the government is gonna is gonna find a few videos of these things in operation and and pin their hat on that and say look it, it works if you if you do it like this and and then you know the future is a potentially incredibly bland high street experience um, where all of the small independents get completely wiped out and you get these sort of more faceless spaces coming in and taking the leases off us. And I, and I think, I mean, that, that is a big concern for us. And I, and I think, um, I, I'll be honest with you, and I've got to, got to be quite frank, Caroline Dynage, who's the MP or the Secretary for Culture, um, lead in terms of DCMS, has been very clear that she wants to protect those independent businesses in particular. Um, and we've highlighted that on many occasions. Um, uh, within the meetings that we've been uh, sort of uh, associated with alongside MBT and, and some of the other associations, including AIF, etc. So uh, I think it's very clear that they understand where the creative flair and, and the the uh, innovations come from. Uh, are definitely, although, you know, there are there are some groups out there that do and, and some amazing work. Um, mm. We know that the independents are the sort of foundation uh, for our culture. Um, so. So there is a lot of work to protect them, hence the reason why SMEs got, got so much of a focus, although it was a bit of a mismatch because 51k rateable value is kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> particularly in Especially cities. Especially in London, I mean, man. We, like, you know, that's, it's a joke, isn't yeah. it? I mean, we, we've just put something together in terms of an ask, which is based on landlords and uh, a, a re-engagement strategy or grant, um, which uh, goes up and over 150k rateable value. Mm. So, um, you know, we, we've been quite sort of concise with what we want. And that goes from, you know, under 51K right the way up to over 150K, um, which has a proportion which is based on, uh, you know, supporting a rent position, but also supporting re-engagement, which is based on a grant, not on lending. And I think that should have happened, you know, weeks ago, really. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's like you say, I, I think the challenge that we have is everyone's got an opinion. It's like, I'm going to describe it like this. It's like going in and working legs in the gym. Every gym instructor will tell you the best way to do it. Um, and the reality is, is you, you kind of got to feel your way forward and, and try and do it yourself a little bit. But uh, um, yeah, it, it's a massive challenge and we need to, you know, the provisions need to come into play within the next week or so, which I'm hoping that Bayes is going to uh, announce shortly once, once we've got some clarity on how things move forward. But, as I say, I mean, the interesting point is this code of conduct with regard to tenants yeah. uh, and commercial rent. I know uh, um, that that's a big thing that's, uh, you know, is hugely on our agenda, as it is many out there. And, and hopefully we should, you know, we should be able to get some sort of feedback on that shortly.
well, I mean, my landlord's telling me to take a loan to pay rent, and I'm saying, well, why should I take out debt in order to service your debt, essentially, um, mm. when I'm not able to operate my business to the terms as stipulated in our lease? The lease says you must operate this space as a cocktail bar. Owing to a government mandate, we cannot do that, and therefore I yeah. don't see why I should be having to pay rent when I have zero revenue. And, and exactly that, um, you know. I mean, we we we've had some very heated discussions um, with um, uh, different bodies with regard to how the rent and uh, commercial rent positions should be managed. We understand that landlords are in a similar position. I mean, they've got yeah, to- they've got their debts, they've got their covenants. I'm aware of that, sure. and we I have a very open discourse with my landlord, but like. Mm. They're pushing harder and harder as the months tick on, and you know the next quarterly payment's just around the corner. Um, yeah. Ours isn't that bad, but you know, there's the, uh, who was who was on. Uh, there was that thing going around from the guy who owns Gay in Soho. The uh, Jeremy Joseph. Yeah. Jeremy Joseph. That yeah, his his he will by June the twenty second he will owe his landlord something like eight hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, I mean, we uh, Jeremy Joseph is is one of our members, and we've been supporting him right the way throughout. So uh, it, it's uh, you know it's a horrendous position for everyone to be in. Um, and the problem is, is the rents in London are just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it draws you back to really you know market value in terms of rent as well, and that that sort of consolidated position on how this is going to move forward because. People can't sustain that sort of uh, that sort of rentable. I mean, eight hundred grand. I mean, can you imagine having that over your head? I mean, that's it, isn't it? I know. You know, I'm saying to my landlord, look, there's no one better placed in the country to get this place trading again to a, a position where you will get rent payments than me. So, if you want to rip up my lease and kick me out, that's fine. But you're going to have an empty space on your hands for a very very oh, long and, time. And, and, the, and you know, and it's the, like it's, yeah. it's either we work together and it's is is zero for now, and then we we look at a plan to sort of build it back together or you know it's it's zero for a very long time for you and i've lost my business listen i, I i'm, I'm going to say it as blatant as this you know one way or another we're going to get something through that's going to support everyone um and as usual with the government it's going to come in a week's time or something like that so you, you're literally holding your breath to the last minute sadly yeah. which is not the way that anyone wants to do this but um you know that the one piece of this puzzle which could resolve everything is the bank's Uh, and the government Um, if they really really wanted to reach in and deal with lenders uh, as they I mean you know you've got to ask yourself I mean what value has Seabill's loan really been I mean I know they keep churning out these figures but they definitely are not figures within the hospitality sector because many of these banks won't lend to the hospitality sector we were like we were we were a Seabill's stan account for a little bit at the beginning of this because i i had an experience and then you you put me in touch with several people at the bbc and it kind of blew up as i became the face of a a beleaguered (laughs) nation talking about my experience with Barclays who are now bending over backwards to, to lend but again it's just like we're not in a position we've, we've managed to consolidate everything down we've, we've got a little thing going we've got a bit of a side hustle going it's sort of fine with everything on freeze but the rent issue is the one thing that, that is really keeping yeah. me up at night and, 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 and you know just for everyone listening it, it, it is top of the agenda 
Mm. Uh, trust me when I tell you I have more conversations about landlord commercial rents. Um, I, I know, uh, as I discussed earlier, of uh, I've, I've just had an email in with regards to reviewing um, some documentation on commercial rents. So it's going to be um, an interesting one uh, later today. Um, but we're all, you know, we're all trying to get to the same space. I, I, I want to eliminate this financial pressure from people. Um, you know, we've done it staffing wise. It's worked to a point and we've, you know, we've got a bit of a, a journey ahead. Protocol wise, we're working on and we're looking at simplification and RAs and, and regulation, which is an important part. The only thing that is glaringly obvious and has been there for weeks, which is more frustrating than anything else, is the rent position. Um, and and it, it's got to be resolved. I mean, a forfeiture moratorium is only going to prolong a position. You know, it's only going to push it back or kick it down the road. It's not a solution. Um, and, and, you know, the longer they kick the can down the road, the, the more chance that when this turns, people are going to turn and look for, you know, potentially alternative use of, of space if you can't keep up with payments or, you know, look at taking the, the space back. Um, so very very tough for everybody and I, and I, I hear everyone's pain and I, it's it's you know it's frustrating on our part not to have an answer sooner rather than later i mean it's just you know it doesn't take much to spark people at the moment really does it it's just uh you know there's uh, <laughs> there's, there's there's explosions brewing all over the place um well i mean I, you know i i work with a, a separate group that are looking to sort of drive a campaign at the moment which is all based on you know, they want to get engaged. They want to start moving. They want to utilize the protocols that are out there. Um, and we're talking about doing um, almost like a great outdoor adventure. Uh, um, and that involves people like Mike uh, Grieve from Sub Club, Dan Perrin from 338 to Clapham Grand to, you know, uh, Motion in Bristol, all talking about utilizing outdoor spaces and turning them into pub gardens. Yeah. Um, but that's all well and good for the period that we're warm. If it rains, it's going to be a challenge. And obviously, once we get to September, October, the weather is always iffy. So, you know, we've we've got to get to a point where we've got a working uh, metric in terms of social distancing and uh, measures and protocol, or, or otherwise we're going to struggle. Or, you know, you pay while we close is the reality. <laughs> I think that's it for uh, me, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, if they're not on top of track and trace by the end of the summer, then we're, we're potentially in real trouble. Yeah, and I and I I mean, look, the 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 feedback that I'm getting is the antibody testing is is not here or not not in a place where it's feasible at the moment. The track and trace, obviously, they're working on, but you know, app wise, uh, they're still in development. Um, uh, I, I would hope they're going to be in a place where they're talking about the end of June. Uh, the last time I had a ministerial discussion about it. Um, you know, if we can get it out by the end of June, then, you know, we've got a potential chance. But, I mean, they've already, neg you know, reneged on uh, primary school opening. So, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, and the other thing that wor worries me is this this isolation of regions. So, if your R number goes up in a region, we're going to close you down. I mean, wow, talk about shifting your social environment quickly. Yeah, and then, you um, know, what, what happens if you've brought staff back in? Do they then go back on furlough? Again, there's, like, no clarity, is there, as to, you know, what, what that would look like? It's just my, sort of... My feel with, yeah, my, my feel with this is is as we re-engage the economy is, and the more and more things re-engage, the tougher it is to disengage that. So I can't see them re-engaging the economy without a plan or contingency um, out there. And, and as I say, I mean, you know... Yeah, 
uh, with with all the protests and and quite rightly the the sort of Black Lives Matter, which you know is is hugely important to protest uh, 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 for, is you know is has shown that people can go out on on mass, be engaged. And if we're not going to get a spike in transmission in in a couple of weeks, it it, it kind of you know without without wanting to sound uh, it actually shows some sort of template or understanding that people can act sensibly in the right environments um, and, mm. you know, and protect themselves. So it, it, it's going to be an interesting few weeks without a doubt. I mean, with, with the amount of things that are going to be coming out in the next few weeks, it's definitely going to be a, um, a bit of a roller coaster for everyone to get everything in order. I mean, speaking of the protests, uh, we were there on the weekends and everyone to a man was, was wearing masks. Yeah. You know, and that's something that people had taken on on board themselves to be safe. There was no guidelines on that. Uh, that was flowing around on social media before anyone was asked to attend these things. Yeah. It was just to be safe and to to be aware. Well, I mean, yeah, people, you know, people are not serious. It's like you say, in some respects, the government are trying to address the lowest common denominator. But you know, when you when you present someone with a potential that they could be infected with something which could compromise their life. Um, you know, people are going to make sensible decisions and they're going to make sensible decisions around them. So, you know, in some respects, you know, uh, not to be treated like a child and understand that people are going to make the right decisions is, you know, and people starting to take some personal responsibility is is a big part. But then again, we've got that argument in, you know, prior this happening in terms of nightclubs and people drinking and, and you know, nightclubs being closed for someone else's, you know, someone uh, who's drunk too much and not taking personal responsibility? So, I mean, maybe, I, maybe that's the uh, alcohol. You know, the, alcohol is a difficult element, isn't it? When you when you're throwing yeah. that into the mix. Um, I mean, I, again, like looking at another country that seems to have handled this whole thing rather well. You look at South Korea; they had a they've reopened their bars and clubs. They had one guy, a sort of super spreader, go out one night um, across six venues on one street or something. And That's right. I, I, I think within a day, the government had got the sort of credit card details of everyone who'd been in the venues, uh, spending money the night before, sent them a test, told them to isolate, shut down the venues, disinfected them, and two weeks later, they were ready to go again. And yeah. I mean, you, you, something like that's never going to happen here, but it does show the sort of measures that are needed to be in place to sort of deal with this in a mature and sensible way yeah and i and i uh, it's uh yeah i mean we, we've seen some some very sort of stringent measures that have come across in different countries without a doubt i mean germany for one you know their testing was absolutely second to none but you know as was highlighted as well they've probably got more um uh sort of labs per square mile than any other country in the world yeah um so you know it, it's almost like they were they were set up to to create that environment and be able to deal with that level of testing whereas uh the uk definitely wasn't so we're you know they're there uh, and you know it, it, even down to the fact that when you talk about these numbers and i mean i, I watch groups every five minutes and they're going right well we're you know we're four percent up above this and uh, the problem is, is as soon as you start comparing internationally, they all have different ways of measuring their their mortality rates, sure. um, and and how that sort of comes in. So, we don't, you know, I mean, China is the prime example. Um, you know, there was so much, uh, you know, spurious information that was deemed to be coming out. Um, 
you know, even down to us not including care homes and deaths from care homes. And, and our numbers jumped up by about 4,000, I think, that, that sort of within a couple of days. So I, I, I think it's it's about concentrating on where we are, the, the increase in transmission, the increase in deaths, um, and, and how we can best sort of get to a point where it's safe to open. Because the biggest thing here is that no one wants to open um, – and, and see more people die. No one wants to open and, and not create a safe environment for people to engage and be an active part in a social experience. Um, but, you know, we, we also have to consider as businesses is what's workable in terms of viability in our workplace. And so there are, there are lots of considerations. But the first point of call is no one wants to open and, and feel that they're compromising people just for a business. That's not what it's about. Yeah. Um, but we also want clarity in terms of when it can happen or if it can happen so that we can we can plan appropriately. Uh, and, and we also need to understand what that provision is. And, and that's where I think the government have fallen short. They haven't been effective in terms of their timing um, of communication, particularly as, you know, as you say, you're going to release the furlough uh, scheme, which suggests that September, October, we're going to see a phased re- uh, approach back to operating across all businesses. But we still don't know in terms of our industry what businesses are going to be re-engaged, apart from the 4th of July when you can see pubs, restaurants, etc. But then you've got a categorization issue, haven't you? Yeah. Because, um, I mean, you know, a bar can be interpreted as a, you know, a late venue. Are they going to get away with, the, uh, uh, you know, a cutoff in terms of operating times? You know, there's lots of things that are unanswered, and I think they've underestimated the diversity of our sector more than anything yeah i think i think that's a really good point and i i I have been really proud of the sector as a whole for falling back on that sort of safety first approach from from everything that i've seen on on the groups that we're both a part of um you know no one wants to do anything it goes back to the sort of first point that we were making in this conversation really a lot of us were the ones who took the call to close in that first week it wasn't something that was ordered on day one it was a recommendation by the government and a load of operators did stay open and that was understandable and they put their own measures in place but a lot turned around and said I don't want to do anything to jeopardize the safety of my staff my family or my customers and they put that first and that has been paramount throughout this whole thing from the sector and I know that you've been really leading on that with everything that you've done and yeah. it's just the strongest argument that we can possibly make as a sector is like, is it safe? You know, it, it ties back into what you were saying before. It is, it's, it's a nuanced situation within the industry. It's a nuanced situation internationally. You can't do international comparisons because this is a, a, a densely populated country uh, with, with a very consumer-led economy. We don't make anything anymore. You know, we thrive off our nighttime industry, our retail market, all of, all of these kind of things is what keeps our economy strong. I heard another thing on the news this morning saying that the UK stands to be hit the worst economically by this crisis with a, with a shrinking of, uh, of 14%. Um, yeah. And it's 11 is sort of the base mark for other nations across the world. So, you know, it shows you how much we rely on, you know, these kind of industries that thrive on social interaction. And, and, and I agree. I mean, it, it's, look, I, I think we have internationally been renowned for our, not only our nighttime economy, our events, our, our social engagement, you know, the fact that we're, our music, arts, culture is, is internationally known. 
you know, it, it, it really stamps for authority on it. I mean, not that I want to hear 14% by any way, shape or form, but um, it, it is definitely going to, uh, from a government perspective and from a, um, a community's perspective, it's going to make people understand the value. Um, and that's that's one of the other key messages, I think, out the back of this is, you know, the, the fact that a lot of people have been starved from social engagement, being able to go to the local pub, being able to have a meal with your family, being able to uh, go out with your friends, celebrate a birthday, celebrate a birth, etc. All of these things that we sort of take for granted have now, uh, you know, have been sort of housed in some respects in a really sort of ironic way. Mm. Um, and, and I think people are going to understand support and value. And I think the other big thing that you've got to take from this is the amount of businesses that have, have really contributed to communities now. Um, you know, from uh, Printworks becoming a food bank to 338 working different ways. You know, there's lots of people doing things which are community-based. It's not just about them reinventing or remodeling their business. It's about, you know, community support, vulnerable. I mean, you know, I have conversations with people like uh, Billy Mosuth, who's a, who's a guy who runs Brighton Music Conference. And I phoned him the other day and he said to me, yeah, no, I'm just out of bike. I'll give you a call back. And I said, yeah, okay, cool. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, just delivering meals to some of the old people in Brighton. You know, and when you hear things like that, you actually realize the type of people we're dealing with within our industry. And you've got to take your hat off because, you know, they're not afraid to, one, put their hand in their pocket. And two, they're not afraid to go out there and make a difference. And, you know, I, 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 I for one, am definitely proud of that. Um, and I can see so much, so much of it up and down the country from, you know, from Glasgow all the way down to Brighton, Cardiff, et cetera. There are examples of it you know through and through so it's it's consummate british hospitality isn't it it's best and i think there is a lot to be proud of in in our sector with the way that we've come together and handled this and i I think what's interesting in what you're just saying there is it does touch a little bit on what's next and you know if the right moves are made from up on high uh with regards to sort of dealing with debt and stuff like that you know we could potentially use this as a platform to really move into a sort of after this awful awful crisis where so many unnecessary deaths have occurred where we could potentially rebuild and move into something a little bit brighter a little bit less sort of rapacious you know that was the nature of our economy before this 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 bar again just using it as an example because it's the only one i've got we made our rent payments we made our supplier payments by packing the place out on friday and saturday night you know it was that sort yeah. of, it was a numbers game from top to bottom it was like pack them in you know serve 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 you know maybe we can work towards creating more of a sort of community ethos with less of a, a a panic on you know making these sort of difficult payments and well i i, I think the um the commercial rent uh, the landlord sector is definitely going to be here and i think it's long overdue that uh, market value is decreased to allow uh, a lot of these businesses to survive you can talk about tied rents you can talk about pub codes you can talk about some of these bigger landlords particularly for inner cities, they've really got to look at remodeling what they're doing because they can't continue mm. to, um, you know, to, to, to push Premier League um, sort of pricing across from land. They have to understand that sustainability is as important as, you know, profit as much as anything else. So I think that's a big part of what's going on here. The future uh, for us 
I think is is people are not going to be able to walk forward without having some sort of remodeling in terms of future proof um and we've seen the streaming element we've seen people uh in terms of multi-purpose use for their spaces um and and i think there's going to be a lot of work done in the background um on on you know dual platforms so you know you're going to have a physical and a virtual experience on some of these uh methods and i i I mean i've seen it abroad um uh, i've done some testing on something called vaar which is a two-way virtual um uh, performance where um, a thousand virtual people um, can uh, feed into a performance within a venue without an audience mm. um, and the performer can hear the virtual audience almost like they're there but not there uh, and that's moved forward to a VR representation of that that model as well um, so I, I've seen some amazing things I mean uh, the other day, I had a trial um, of a system which uh, attaches to your CCTV camera, uh, and instead of going around and having to um, manage people's social distancing, is what it does is it gives you um, an understanding through uh, uh, artificial intelligence on uh, what the average social distancing effect of your night is. So. In other words, as you go through the night, it allows you to understand whether people are moving in a uh, in an environment that uh, that that sort of works, if that may. So, in other words, what it does is it takes head and shoulder shots, and it tells you what their distances are on average as they move around the room through a visual perspective. So, very very clever piece of tech. Although, uh, you know, uh, it, it's those sort of things that we're sort of seeing being developed. Um, you know, and things like community passports and lots of different things like that. So, there's there's lots of interesting things coming out. Some that are workable, some of them that are you know absolutely not workable. Um, and meant in the the best of uh, uh, you know meant to to work in the best of environments, but also are quite restrictive and will uh, potentially cause more harm than use if that makes sense in our environment. So for sure, and I I think you know if if operators are given an opportunity by government or whoever to to help get these things in place to use this as a point of like real change mm-hmm. you know sort of like with um Bevan and the welfare state after after the second world war you know churchill didn't get re-elected despite being the sort of quote-unquote war hero people went for the, that british attitude of let's all join hands and rebuild something here that we want to see yeah giving birth to the nhs which is obviously you know been such a championed institution and deservedly so throughout this entire crisis you know hopefully that's yeah. where people's mindset is going to be when we look at the next phase of rebuilding rather than just trying to take things back to how they were before yeah um, uh, and, and i think there's i mean the government have obviously announced things like innovations uh commitments in terms of financial support uh, we're talking to the government about things like pandemic re which is similar to the new zealand earthquake funds where uh, we know it's going to be very difficult to insure against pandemic um, after this. Um, therefore, there has to be a government incentivized scheme where funding will go into a central pot. Uh, and if businesses are closed, they'll be able to feed off that pot as, as an insurance position alongside their sort of their policy against damage, etc. So there's lots of things that are happening in the background, which are obviously not a priority at the moment, but... Uh, uh, are definitely uh, sort of coming together. I know uh, Alok Sharma has highlighted he's got five working groups that he's working on in terms of financial re-engagement for the sector. Um, so, 
I, I, I think there are some positive things happening, but, you know, let's close this chapter first and, uh, you know, make sure everyone's safe, then focus, because I think there's some things on the agenda that still haven't been locked off. And what always worries me with about government is almost like, a, you know, a dog and a, a, a new toy, isn't it? If you throw it far enough down the road, it'll go away enough time so you can you can do whatever you need to do without him sort of driving you mad. So it's kind of one of those sort of, Look, let's not lose focus on what we need to do immediately with something that's a, you know, a future exciting piece, if that makes sense, or surprise. You know, this is this is coming. You know, let's let's try and resolve what we've got in front of us first, which is sometimes what the government does to take pressure off themselves, which I don't like. So, mm. well, I mean, so there is there is just to finish on something hopeful. I guess there is there is potentially a bright future when we come out of all of this, I think, you know, there, there's, there's been a lot of good that has, has come through in the last couple of months and you can't see things just falling back onto the way that they were. They yeah. can't, they yeah. can't. I mean, look, it's, it's like I said at the start, the biggest thing that we've got is we're working closer together as a sector, mm. you know, whether it be communicating with the bar club next door or communicating with, you know, international uh, clubs and bar representation our communication level within our sector has got stronger meaning we're standing stronger together which can only benefit uh, our government knows more about us than it's ever known yeah <laughs> um not not for the want of trying to push them but they've they've understood that more uh, and and you know without a doubt they understand the value because of the dropout financially um uh, from from their side and our side so we we've we've got a lot to look forward to the one thing i would say and this is something i would end with is while we all concerned and there was a lot of scaremongering about re-engagement from the marketplace um uh, i i had a, a quite an interesting conversation with uh, the guys from 338 uh, the other week and uh, they've released something that they they're trying to get interest for um, uh, after the 4th of July in terms of opening their gardens and, and doing something uh, on the lines of a pub garden experience. And he said, oh, I was a bit worried about what the response would be. And he said, I put it out and within an hour, I had 7,000 responses. Wow. Um, and if you take that as, as you know, obviously someone that's quite high, in the, you know, leading in their field in terms of dance music, et cetera, you've got to ask the question that, well, the narrative has been very difficult to manage. There are a lot of millennials and right-minded people who have now become quite balanced in terms of what's in front of them in, uh, for a virus. The, the Black Lives Matter marches, and as you say, people that took sensible action to go out um, and protect themselves and take an active part in something that's very, very important to, to the UK and our, our industry in particular. Um, you know, it, we, we are in a place where people are now taking personal responsibility. And I think that's the piece that the government needs to recognise more. And the fact that businesses can make it work one way or another, yeah. but not under some of the measures that they're babying to us almost, you know, in a juvenile fashion that we won't take that right action. So, um, and the last thing just to say is, look, when these protocols and things come out, um, you know, there's still going to be a lot of work to do in terms of these um, risk assessments and assessments of independent venues and their layouts, etc. So, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that these are only going to be considerations um, and they're going sure. to take some more work for you to get that through the door. Um, so start on that now rather than leave it for a couple of weeks. You, you kind of know from the 25th guidance, 25th of May guidance, what you're looking at. 
the you know the worst case scenario is they reduce it to a one meter social distancing that's only going to help you in terms of your capacity more than anything the rest of the hygiene and cleanliness side of things washing hands is all going to stay in place um so uh that's the last thing i would end on but yeah i i think we're going to bounce back from this quite heavily stronger than we realize well you know it's uh, an industry where community is king uh we don't judge people you know it's all you walk into this bar and it's it's a handshake and a high five you know whoever you are yeah and i think that the government is hopefully noticing as you say the importance of this sector in 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 fulfilling those objectives in communities because that is what is important now as we yeah. look to rebuild um anyway michael thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us i hope that this is been a useful resource for you and for, no for everyone who's tuned in. Um, I will uh, be back soon with one of these. This was a bit of a, a special edition. I guess the next one's going to be in the next month or so. Um, but once again, Michael, thank you so much. And Thanks, uh, Alex. keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I just can't thank you enough from the bottom of all of our hearts for all of the hard work that you do uh, to fight the good Thanks. fight for us. Um, Thank you. Thank in, you very much. In the wake of, uh, in, in, in the face of such an insurmountable amount of work, uh, you've really been a champion. And it's been, it's been a real honor to be a part of the, of the association. No, thanks, Alex. And I really appreciate it. Um, and, and look forward to uh, engaging with a few of you uh, over a pint at some point when this uh, starts to subside and we're, we're able to go out there and take an active social role in communities. It's coming soon. Beer from taps. You know, that's what we all want. Beer from taps. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You know, as an ex-rugby boy, you couldn't. It's right at the heart of my uh, my world. So thank you. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Alex. Speak again all right, soon. All the best. Thanks a lot. Take care.